You're listening to Level Up with Melissa Zalouf from Iron Source. So welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Level Up, the podcast for people who love making, growing, and of course, playing mobile games. I'm your host, Melissa Zalouf, and this is the first episode of our new series for indie developers called What I Wish I Knew When. Now, joining me on today's podcast is Gabriel. Oh, Gabriel, I never asked you how to pronounce your surname. Yeah, so it's Koryu. Koryu. Okay, so yeah. how it's spelled. C-O-R-I-U. You, exactly. So it, it, it does what it says on the tin. So Gabriel Koryu, originally from Romania, but currently located in Helsinki. Uh, Gabriel's the co-founder of Cenex and the developer behind the hit game Hide and Seek. We'll be talking about what he wished he knew uh, when choosing a publisher and about his journey to getting a hyper-casual game to number one and number five on Android and iOS, respectively. So, Gabriel, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. Uh, hi, Melissa. Yeah, thank you for having me. So, first, to, to start, could you maybe tell us a little bit about your personal journey uh, in the gaming industry? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I've always been uh, passionate about uh, visual arts and programming and video games for as long as I remember myself, basically. And after graduating high school, I was faced with the tough decision of picking between arts and uh, IT as a career. And in the end, I ended up picking the IT career, but still continued to develop my artistic uh, skills on the side by being more and more active on visual art forums. Mm-hmm. And I even remember that some of my wor- works got featured on uh, evermotion.org, which is a pretty well-known forum in, in that area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in my third year of studying computer science, I remember that someone from Gameloft sent me a private message uh, asking mm-hmm. if I was interested into, uh, into getting hired as, a, as an environment artist while still studying computer science. Yeah, exactly. It was like uh, (laughs) a dream come true. And later on, I transitioned into a technical artist and finally managing to mix programming with with art. And later on, I relocated to Helsinki. So yeah, that's, that's how I got into the industry. And and how what was your journey to sort of uh, founding Cenex uh, and and why did you sort of choose hypercasual? Uh, was there something in particular about the genre that drew drew you to develop games for it? Uh, well, I have to say that right away there was nothing special to the hypercasual genre, and mm-hmm. I remember that I even uh, kind of disliked it at first because you know gamers have this perception of the hyper-casual games being uh, cheap because they have quite a bit of uh, ads into them. But I gradually started to enjoy making them, and now I see them as these kind of personal projects that I, uh, like experiments that I work on for one or two weeks, and then I test them. And I also try to add some technical challenges when possible. So, for instance, with Boopy, it was the jelly behavior, and with Spray, it was like a... The, the shaders and the, the VFX of the spray to behave in a realistic manner. And with hide and seek, it was the AI and, uh, and handling the, the vision of the uh, field vision of the seeker, you know. And now to answer your question, the reason I ended up picking hyper casual games uh, was due to the good risk reward ratio, especially for mm-hmm. solo developers. 
Of course. And uh, when you, your first attempt actually at building a game, uh, which was Boopy, if I'm right, uh, didn't end up quite the way you hoped it would. Uh, tell us, tell us a little bit of the story there. What went wrong? Uh, what were your main takeaways? Oh boy, yeah. So, uh, Boopy, the first big mistake that I made with Boopy, I think it was putting way too much energy into making it uh, a, a finished product. So, there was no way in my mind that could have failed. And when it did, I was devastated and I just didn't want to accept it as a failure. And then I, I, what I did after that, I started testing it with multiple publishers because I thought at first that there was an issue with the first publisher and then they just got pretty much more or less the same results. And I even remember like a funny story that uh, after, after testing it with the first publisher, after seeing the KPIs, what I did, I went to each analytics uh, platform, like Game Analytics, Unity Analytics, and Facebook, and got the best KPIs from that. So for instance, I got the day one from Game Analytics, the day seven from Unity, and uh, playtime from uh, Facebook or something like that. And then I put all of them into a big image and sent it to the publisher saying, hey, look, the game didn't perform as badly as it did, but eventually I just had to accept it as a failure. Now, another mm -hmm. mistake, uh, and this is, by the way, this is a confirmation bias at its best. So that was a really big mistake, basically making decisions based on personal beliefs as opposed uh -huh. to actual data. So <laughs> meaning, you know, analyzing the hits, finding what, most of uh, what most of the hits have in common, for instance, short call loops, uh, clear 3D style, flat and minimalist art style, and so on. So after after this experience, uh, building uh, and failing with Boopy, um, you were looking obviously for for the right publisher to partner with for longer term projects. What were you in in this kind of initial stage or at that time? What exactly were you looking for in a publisher? Yeah, well, I was looking for, I think that what everyone is looking for even now, like third terms, transparency and mutual respect. And I, I remember back then there were not many options. And let, let's consider this situation. I come to you with, uh, with the winning solution for the lottery, right? Like the winning numbers, but I just can't mm -hmm. afford to get a ticket. And then because you afford to get a ticket, you would just not split the revenue fairly, right? And I don't think that's a good way of handling uh, developers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how sort of now that you've uh, a bit more experience under your belt, um, what do you know about choosing the right publisher that you wish you had known earlier on? Well, basically, I think uh, all, all of the above still stands. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't... I don't, I don't think I know more than I did then. I just wish there were more options overall. Mm. And do you feel you had a, um, a learning curve after partnering with your, your current publisher, Supersonic, or the publisher of Hide and Seek? Um, and, and if so, what were some of the, the things you learned that you think were important? Um, well, I don't think there was too much, too steep of a, of a learning curve. We just mm -hmm. learned together gradually by, by trial and error. And uh, most of the, the, the most important takeaways would be that 
the thing that people love power-ups. So I remember that after adding the uh, teleport gates into the game, the, the engagement increased and so the retention. Uh, and then also the invisibility reward video, with, which also is sort of a power-up. It's actually a power-up on its yeah. own. And you know, ha having no loading screen in between levels, that also helped a lot because initially there were there was uh, a small duration in between levels because it would have to load the next level, but now I skipped that, I fixed it. And then uh, last but not least, to put clarity clarity over, over beauty. I think these are okay. <laughs> pretty much the most important. I would also like to thank Supersonic for all the effort they put in. Clarity over beauty, that's nice. Um, and looking more widely, you talked about wishing that um, publishers, uh, you said fair terms, transparency and, and mutual respect. Um, are there parts beyond those kind of three key uh, elements? Are there parts of the publishing world uh, that you wish were different uh, or that you think need improvement today? Uh, well, I, it's hard to be specific, but because each publisher acts in a different way, like they all have different terms and workflows. But I just wish generally, not only for publishers, but for all the people to understand the purpose of a currency, that being money, and realize that immaterial values are more important because at the end of the day, we are together on this beautiful spaceship, you know, so we should yeah. help and respect one another. Mm. And what do you think about um, choosing whether or not to go for a publisher in the in the first place? Um, do you think it's a must for developers today because UA competition is so fierce, um, or or are the value is there value to to going it alone and publishing solo? Well, unless the studio uh, unless the studio doesn't have the resources and knowledge to promote the game, I say there is no other option. So with a studio for making a hyper-casual game. The minimum would be uh, to have a gameplay programmer, an artist, uh, having someone to make videos, so there'll be creatives and someone to handle UA, and then you'd have to, some backend developers to, uh, to implement some A-B testing tools. And you also need to make sure that the people that you hire, you work with, are skilled, right? So for instance, now if I want to go on my own, how am I going to pick a good UA, uh, a UA guy, right? Because I don't know much about UA. So, that, so that's also kind of a problem. So on average, on average I would say that uh, at the beginning, it's a wise decision to go with a publisher. Mm -hmm. And now let's talk a little bit about Hide and Seek, uh, which was a huge hit. Where did the concept for the game come from? Uh, so yeah, the concept. Uh, well, the concept has always been in my mind you know it's like it's nothing new we used to play that uh, when we were kids a lot right but i just didn't know how to properly represent that virtually on a mobile device but one day i just watched a video uh, on the channel on youtube called two minutes paper which is a channel about ai in general and the uh, it, it was a video about how the AI basically learned from scratch to play hide and seek uh, using neural networks. And the representation of the game was pretty much identical to what 
what is what it is like in hide and seek. So that's how I got the idea from. And as soon as I saw that, I, I just snapped, you know, and I just started making, uh, starting working on it. Nice. And um, the game actually had low CPIs um, from the start. So for you, the the main thing to focus on was retention. What changes did you make to the game um, to boost playtime retention? Uh, and in the end, what impact did you see these have on your KPIs? Uh, yeah, so the most notable are uh, some of them were already mentioned before, but uh, yeah. downscale, downscale I, I downscaled the levels quite a lot, um, so I made them way smaller. And I also simplified the levels from real-world representations to this abstract labyrinth style, removed loading screen from in-between levels, uh, and then spawned the next level in front of it and smoothly transitioned the camera from one level to another so that I can uh, give more uh, seeming less to the game. And then I did the shop and the invisibility of power up. And after those, the the retention increased, I think, by 50% and playtime by around 30%, which is wow. quite nice. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> yeah, not bad at all. Um... So let's talk a little bit about the growth loop, uh, which is something we talk about quite a lot here on Level Up. Um, and, and at least we think it's the key to scaling a uh, profitable and sustainable uh, game business. What was the process like for for you when it came to um, looking at your ad unit or ad monetization and user acquisition strategy holistically? Um, was this something you were already doing uh, or was it something that you sort of started thinking about once you connected with Supersonic? Uh, no, no, I, I've never specialized in, and I've never even tried doing monetization. So I've always relied on the publishers to handle the monetization side, you know, how to put the RFEs and the ads and when to trigger them. So on, on that on that note, yeah, I kind of relied on Supersonic. But in terms of implementing them, it was kind of straightforward because of the Iron Source SDK that, that's really well documented, that helps a lot. And also Supersonic has really good uh, tech support. Now in terms of user acquisition, I wasn't involved that much straight away. Uh, I just provided the best performing videos from the testing phase, but later I got more and more involved uh, and made some playables using Luna, which is a great tool for Unity. And, uh, shout out to the Luna team, which helped a lot in that regard. Mm -hmm. And how did you did you see these two elements um, as being connected? Your ad monetization and your user acquisition. Meaning, they see ad monetization as being one discrete activity with a specific team, and user acquisition a different team with different goals, etc. Whereas what we're seeing is more and more developers are looking at these two elements as part of one big. A unified growth strategy. So it's not just about bringing in uh, lots of users, it's about measuring their value in terms of both administration and if you have it, IAP, um, and feeding that data back into the user acquisition strategy to make sure that you're optimizing uh, the entire loop and not just one side and then the other separately. Yeah, well, uh, now take this with a grain of salt because I'm not specialized in UA and monetization and I'm still learning a lot in that area. But to me, this I still treat them as two dif different areas. Right, got it. 
And last, last question. Uh, what advice would you give to fellow game developers about getting started in the industry and building successful games? Uh, well, most importantly, stay, stay safe in this period. Uh, and, yeah, and pick your pick your partners wisely. I think those are the most important things you have to. And, and so then, then what's my what's my follow up? Uh, how do you know what's what makes a good partner? I guess. Uh, well, like I said, third terms and transparency, and mutual respect, and maybe that reflects you straight away when you work with a publisher because you are just presented the interface like the cover of a book but as soon as you get the contract and if you read it carefully you just get a sense of how uh, how respectful they are towards the developers i think mm. Mm. nice well thank you very much gabriel for this wonderful episode and thank you everyone else as always for listening thank you bye